Um, the Companion of Athens is, is one of the civil servants in military, and one of the benefits you get from it is that it means that my son can get married in Westminster Abbey. Um, my son's an anarchist. It's unlikely he's going to get married, and I'm Jewish. So it's unlikely that I want my son to be married in a church. But when I said to a colleague, I really wouldn't like my son to be married in a church, he said to me, Naomi, when you see the chapel at Westminster Abbey, you'll convert. <laughs> and it is very, it means that I can go into the Abbey whenever I want. I don't have to pretend to pray. So I can go into the Which for an American is a really big deal because lots of people come and visit me, so yeah, I can take them in. Um, I'm, it's very, it's funny talking to a group of, of presumably you're all postgraduate students, master's students, right. Um, I consider myself an academic groupie, not an academic. I'm basically a poli I came from practice into policy. So I used to say I was the highest paid civil servant in the UK who ever worked in an industry, which is probably true. There were, you know, you get one or two teachers in the Department of Education when I was a civil servant, but certainly nobody who ever worked in industries. So I have worked at the front end with um, uh, with families and children for a number of years, and then was in the volunteer sector, and then wound up. Just a surprise to me, being a civil servant. Um, but what I'm going to talk about now is really based on my musings over all those years, and it's about uh, the government's current interest in social mobility and what we mean about it. And I suppose the first place I want to start with is so what the, the difficulty I have in the current discourse, and hopefully you've noticed this yourself, and hopefully if you haven't after this, when you begin to listen to Radio 4 in the morning or read The Guardian, you will see how interchangeably all these words are used. And I think it's unhelpful to use them interchangeably because the, the, the poverty response to them is different, and that's what I'm going to talk about. So the question is, can policy um, affect social mobility? The, the quick answer, and then we can all go have lunch, is yes, but they won't do it because um, it, it costs a lot of money and it's fundamentally incredibly expensive, but it, it can happen. So those are the diff definitions that I'm working to. And the most important thing is that poverty, income inequality, and social mobility are all quite different. Um, they are overlapping in some ways, but there are some countries that where almost everybody is poor, so there's very little income inequality. And some countries where most people are pretty rich and there's little in income inequality. And then there's countries like the UK and the United States where the difference between the richest and the poorest is extremely wide. So inequality is about that very, very wide gap between the bottom 10%, the top 10%, and indeed the top 1%. But that's different from poverty. And, uh, and I'll explain that there are different uh, responses it. So, uh, hold on, next slide. So, um, that's, uh, uh, one. so, why does it matter? Well, it's, it's interesting that you're, I, I didn't quite get the name, you, you, you're a research into obesity group, which I found really interesting. I mean, obviously, because there are very strong links, and one thinks about obesity as affecting um, rich people, but of course, it affects poor people. And I thought it was interesting that there's a group that Oxford is so specialized that there's a group just on that in a social and in a, um, a social sciences department, not in say the public health school or in yeah. So that that to me was fascinating about how specialized academics are. So, but you will know that poverty influences all major outcomes, but the influence of so of inequality is slightly different. Social inequality is much more um, about social cohesion, trust in public institutions, 
fear and crime report. And inequality, in my view, has a much stronger impact on social mobility than poverty does. Um, and I'll explain why in a minute. But the reason I put trust in public institutions is that one of the things about inequality is that countries that are very, very unequal, like the US and the UK, tend <coughs> to have very, very low tax regimes. Low tax regimes are because the public doesn't trust the government to spend its money. <coughs> so one of the things that's very typical of conservative governments historically, not just the current one we have, is that they think that the money is better in your pocket than in theirs, and that that gives you more individual freedom, and that gives you much more of a sense of your, of, of your own, of leading your own destiny. I mean, it's a very, very uh, common feature of America. It's an increasingly common feature in the UK. But the reason that it affects social mobility is if you think of a class gradient, countries that are very unequal, the steps between are extremely steep. Less unequal countries have a flatter gradient. No, there's no country that has a flat gradient that are completely equal. But if the gradient's flatter, the consequences of going one way or another are less serious. So people, so social mobility is easier. Is easier. The sort of, the, you know, my, you know, the, the, the big story on social mobility is that, you know, depending on where you are in that, you know, it's, it's, it's. Of course, I believe in social justice as long as it's not my kid that goes down. And that's, you know, it, it, it's quite simple that, you know, as long as it's not my kid that goes down, it's okay. Poverty has very complex causes. Uh, one of the things I want to um, point out is that part of poverty isn't just income, it's the costs. So in Oxford, you will know that the biggest issue in cost of living in Oxford is housing. But recently, in my job as poverty advisor for Scotland, I went to Shetland Islands. And the capital of the local authority of the Shetlands is a place called Lerwick. And Lorick has about 7,000 people, which means it's slightly bigger than the village I live in in Buckinghamshire. And in Unst, one of the isles that has about 200 people on it, Unst blames Lerwick for everything that's wrong in the way that Lerwick blames Edinburgh and the way that Edinburgh blames London for everything that's wrong. So no matter where you are in terms of, of policy making, you'll always blame the next line up and say, well, if only we had the power, it would be fine. Um, the, the reason that I bring up the Shetlands is that they weren't very happy with me on the Shetlands when I looked at all their data. They're actually not very poor, but stuff is unbelievably expensive. So you think your problem here is housing, which of course it is. In Shetlands, the problem is fuel. The problem is access to transport. Um, a fifth of people on the Shetlands don't have access to a car, and rural and remote means 30 miles from the nearest shop. You don't have access to a car, this is a huge issue. And of course, the cost of fuel is very high. But not just is the cost of fuel very high, it's much colder, so you need a lot more fuel. And the housing stock is much older, so the housing stock doesn't have the fuel saving features that modern housing has. And housing tends to be detached houses, not flats or um, terraces, which tend to be warmer. So, for all sorts of reasons, although on the face of it, Rural remote Scotland doesn't look poor because of income. It's poor because of the cost of living, because of what it says, high costs. Um, in terms of the way we solve the difficult solutions of poverty, well, you can see they're all, in, they're all interrelated. They're about good quality homes and affordable and accessible transport, good jobs, <coughs> access to power, access to justice. Well, access to power and justice is much more about solving 
inequality and social mobility, um, poverty actually is, is, is about money. So, right, let's just move on. So this is a really complicated slide, but I think it's a really important slide, again, in terms of, both in terms of social mobility, but also in terms of the current discourse of the government. Because the government would like you to believe that disadvantage is personal. That it's about, you know, if only we had more parenting courses, everything would be okay. And that the protective factors are about home learning environment and good parenting, which of course they are. Um, what this slide tells you is that although there are real risk factors in family disadvantage, like poor parenting or poor housing or a mother with a mental health problem, you know, the kinds of disadvantages, there is a complete social, perfect social class gradient between the number of disadvantages and then how children do well at school, do well at school, or how children do well at, at English, or spend time in sports. That's an interesting one for you guys on obesity. So families with much more disadvantages, only 16% um, uh, uh, of the kids spend less than an hour in physical activity, with one of no disadvantages, 5%. Now, the reason that I always show this slide, because I'm almost never talking to master's students at Oxford, I'm almost always talking to people in the voluntary sector who try to get money from the government on the issue that they're working on. So if it's a voluntary sector on housing, or on children's learning, or on early years, or whatever it is, they will always say children from disadvantaged backgrounds have hugely great risk of all these bad outcomes. Give us the money and we'll solve it. And the reason that I worry about that is look at the one in total with the police last year, which is the third from this side. And if I was trying to get money for a crime prevention program for teenagers, I would say families in, extremely in extreme disadvantage, their children are 10 times more likely to be in trouble with the police. Well, it is true. It is 10 times more likely. It's 1% versus 10%. That means 90% of children growing up in families with lots of disadvantages are not in trouble with the police. And the reason that's important is that there's a difference between incidence and risk. And if you're thinking about social problems, and your problem has a social condition, then you wind up stigmatizing the families that you're worried about. So when you say 10 times more likely to be in trouble with the police, your assumption is that all of them will be in trouble with the police. At least half are in trouble with the police. It's 10%, which means 90% aren't. And if you look at all of them, um, child suspended from school, well, it's 1% versus 11%. So again, 90% haven't been excluded from school. Um, if you look at child admits running away, now this is a really important one because that multiplier is much less. That multiplier is just over um, uh, over three, so three times more likely uh, to admit running away uh, if your family has five or more disadvantages. <coughs> but if you look at the families that have one or no disadvantages, one, or one, one in 20 children ran away. I think that's pretty high. So I think it's quite important to look at the gradient from both sides. You know, from the ones where we're assumed there's no problems, well, it's one in 20. And that's the highest one in the risk factors and all that, which is really interesting. But if you, um, you know, and, but also if you look at the 
ones where you expect really bad things to happen to kids because the family circumstances are so poor, then none of them are even close to, you know, the highest one is almost one in 20, which is the, well, sorry, uh, one in five, which is child abuse running away. But even that, all the others, you know, 10, 15, not, not quite 20%. So the vast majority of children growing up in extremely disadvantaged circumstances do okay. You know, they don't turn into axe murderers, they don't, you know, they do okay against the odds. And it's very important in the way we think about poverty and, and social mobility and disadvantage because all this stuff creates huge stigma. And it becomes blaming the families rather than working, um, working on what the underlying issues are.